Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Talking OTC Commodities, brought to you by the EEX Group. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Talking OTC Commodities. I'm Michael Mervyn-Jones, and I'm delighted to say that we're back with a brand new season of episodes, which will explore what's happening in commodities today. Now, for this episode, we're carrying on the conversation that we started in our last episode and delving further into the topic of decarbonisation in shipping. Before I go on, I should take this opportunity to thank those of you who got in touch following the last episode. The reaction was, was really fantastic across the board, and it certainly feels like there's a lot more to discuss when it comes to sustainable shipping. So, for the first episode of Season 2, we're going to examine this topic further. To help us, I'm very happy to say that I'm joined by Richard Heath, known to many of you as the Head of Business Development for EEX Group's Global Commodities Business, known to me as my mate Rich. Hi Richard. Hi Michael. So, what are we discussing today? Well, as you said, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into the concept of decarbonisation in the shipping sector. It's all started to feel very real now. And actually, in the next couple of weeks, we should have the EU's decision regarding shipping's inclusion in the emissions trading scheme. So we'll discuss that for starters and then explore shipping standing as a green mode of transport. We're also going to look at ultimately who's going to pay the cost of the CO2 reduction and the various methods the industry can utilise to manage that cost. And you're joined by someone who's actually working through the process right now. That's right, I am. Uh, for this episode, I'm uh, joined by an old friend of mine, uh, Kai Miller from Cunanagel. Kai's been working for Cunanagel's corporate sea freight team in Hamburg uh, since 2017, specifically focusing on energy and emission-related solutions. So... As you say, he's actually working through this transition right now. Prior to Kai's current role, he was based in London. Uh, he worked for IHS Market and also ICAP on maritime subjects. He's got vast experience in the shipping industry, starting his career back in 2004, mainly involved in ship finance, commercial and technical vessel management for financial institutions in Copenhagen and in Hamburg. And you're focusing primarily on the container sector, right? That's exactly right. Um, for me, uh, a step back in time to uh, where I started my life in the shipping industry. Um, I mean, for this episode, I wanted to focus on containers as in many ways, it's more relatable to the man on the street than, than dry bulk shipping. So hopefully that will help listeners to get a real sense of how shipping is actually affecting their everyday lives. Great stuff. Thanks, Rich. So, with that in mind, sit back and enjoy our latest episode, Counting the Cost of Carbon in Shipping. Hi Kai, 
Thanks so much for joining us today on Talking OTC Commodities. This podcast essentially continues the conversation that we began in the last episode regarding sustainable shipping. And of course, today we're also going to discuss the decision from the EU regarding the inclusion of shipping in the emissions trading scheme. Um, it feels very much to me and I think to many in the industry that this is this is not a question of if, it's uh, rather a question of of how and when. And, and so one of the topics that I wanted to talk to you about was you know, from what you see in the market, from the organisations that you're involved in, from the customers that, that you talk to, um, how ready do you think organisations in the, in the container market are going to be, should the EU decide to bring shipping into the compliance market, into the emissions trading scheme? Hello, Rich. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me here. And um, yeah, we are also waiting um, eagerly here on a decision of the EU because from my perspective, the industry is very, very prepared um, to cope with emissions overall. And we wait for a binding regulatory environment so that we can understand and deal with these emissions in a, in a better way than we do today. And um, we wait for these uh, yeah, level uh, playing fields, if you want to say it that way. But in general, we are quite uh, prepared. There's a lot of working groups um, where emissions are discussed and um, we are part of them. And we see a great uh, interest from, from our client base to deal with it. From your perspective, Kai, working in the container space, do you think the industry fully understands what's required as we continue towards a more sustainable approach to shipping? And... Do you feel that understanding has permeated its way through all the layers that we see in container shipping, which of course is a little bit different from the bulk market? Um, I would say from a ship owner and carrier perspective, um, the understanding is very high up. Obviously, um, those organizations cope with multi-million dollar assets. On the shipper side, it's more a mixed picture. There are those maybe more involved in the retail markets, which are much more interested because they feel the pressure from their clients rather than those who are more in pre-products or um, yeah, low-value goods which are shipped. I think that's, a, that's an interesting point about the market, isn't it? And it's one that's maybe, again, very different from the other modes is that when we think of container shipping, we're much closer in many cases to the actual end consumer. You know, if I go to the high street to buy a new pair of trainers, um, possibly I have an interest actually in the logistic supply chain of those trainers in, in a way that, you know, I don't think about when the actual cargo is, um, you know, an agricultural cargo, which has several more steps to go through before it actually gets to the end consumer. So it's, it's always interesting from, for me to think of that point of view and whether that then creates pressure that comes back up the supply chain from those shippers and cargo owners who want to um, show their clients that you know they are sustainable in their operations and particularly in their supply chains. Precisely. If you think about the trainers example you just mentioned, that are sporting goods and um, a lot of sport people love the environment, they love the ocean and uh, they are very much willing to opt for a product which is transported and also produced environmentally friendly. And that brings me also to uh, 
um, currently establishing uh, demand from manufacturers that they force their suppliers to do everything to stay carbon neutral for a product. Some car manufacturers say, we produce an electric car and everything in that car has to be CO2 neutral. That you can feel um, really good if you buy this product, not that you only drive it using electricity and avoiding uh, emissions. Also the ingredients of the car, if you want to say it that way, need to be produced and delivered carbon neutral. It's interesting that the, the demand is there coming from that side because when we when we think about inclusion into the emissions trading scheme and we think about currently how the emissions from ships are measured, um, container shipping is, you know, from one measure, one of the largest emitters of carbon dioxide from from shipping. Um, you know, purely because of size and, and speed of the vessels. So if we think forwards about this and we think about these organisations being involved in the compliance market for carbon, um, you know, having to buy credits to, to offset carbon, this could have a big impact on shippers, couldn't it? Because of just the pure scale of, of the container industry. Um, you, you are right. Uh, container ships use a lot of energy. They are huge assets carrying 20, 25,000 uh, standard seagoing containers. And we have to see that in a relation. Um, shipping overall is uh, emitting roughly 3% of the global carbon burden, if you want to say it that way. And the container ships allow still a very environmentally friendly mode of transportation if you break it down to a unit basis. There are other forms in an international supply chain which pollute more because they are faster. Air freight, for example, is polluting more. Or even if you use a train, uh, which is uh, now more and more common from Asia to Europe, some emissions occur. But we understand now the emissions per seagoing container and the industry is taking a lot of actions to make the assets more environmentally friendly, either by modifications of the bow or uh, by implementing more environmentally friendly main engines with less consumption. And if you uh, think about the speed, then um, a reduction of the same will save CO2, but it will also affect your supply chain. I mean, this is one of the points that that keeps reoccurring, you know, when, whenever we talk about this subject. And it's one, um, again, which I think is, is really important and key, which is that shipping as a mode is already a very clean mode of transport in comparison to, to some others. So right now, there's a huge amount of interest, you know, in all parts um, of society about this topic. And I think it's easy to, to you know, point a finger at shipping and say, you know, you need to do something to, to clean up your act. But, you know, as you were saying, you know, global carbon emissions from ships, somewhere in the region of, of 3% of, of all emissions. When we look at the, the European Union specifically, we see that shipping makes up approximately 13% of carbon emissions from transport in all of the European Union. And what that basically means is that 
um, you know, almost 90% of emissions come from somewhere else. And when we when we think about this in terms of volume of cargo that's carried, it, it does communicate the shipping is, is a very clean mode. And I think one of the, the things that we have to avoid in this whole transition is the risk of pushing cargo onto other modes, um, you know, which already are, are far less clean in, in comparison. Precisely. I would even argue that there is a potential to save CO2 if cargo would shift from trucks, for example, to smaller feeder ships going from Portugal uh, to Northern Europe, for example. Those so-called blue highways had been discussed years ago, and mm. um, only because of uh, simplicity and also a cost element uh, for trucking that did not really take off. Uh, but we expect that might rise in the not too distant future. Taking this one step further, one of the main news stories that we see all the time at the moment is the worldwide shift to a greener and more sustainable future. One of the key criticisms that we also hear a lot is things are not happening fast enough. Why can't we do these things today and not tomorrow? When it comes to shipping, how quickly can we transition to a sustainable future and how quickly can we realistically decarbonize the industry? In respect of climate change, uh, things can't go fast enough. But we also have to consider that uh, the technological development takes time. It already started and um, we see the standard lifetime of a ship is 25 years. It does not help anybody that we scrap almost new tonnage. So the container fleet overall is a very young fleet on average age. So I just did a calculation yesterday. We end up at uh, roughly 12 years uh, over the entire fleet, whilst the larger ships are only eight to nine years uh, old. And it does not help the environment if we change that tonnage overnight. There are some bridge technologies, like LNG, for example. What does help to a certain aspect, not only on the CO2, but also by other emissions, like uh, uh, the particle matters and uh, the NOx, for example. It's not existing with LNG. And also with biofuel, there's criticism that um, it is not enough feedstock available. However, what we can use now for the existing uh, tonnage will help to reduce CO2 until completely new technology, and I refer here mainly to methanol and ammonia, will mm -hmm. be in place. I think you raise an excellent point, Kai. Shipping is committed to decarbonization, but the solutions have to be pragmatic and realistic. As you say, there's nothing to be gained, and in fact, quite a lot to lose by scrapping existing fleets, which are young in age and much cleaner in comparison to other modes of transport. Now, thinking about this, you know, no matter how clean shipping is, there is emissions there. Those emissions need to be reduced. And of course, this is going to come at a cost. Um, now, it seems likely, um, you know, we don't know for certain yet, but it, it seems likely that in the compliance market, it, it could be the organization who pays for the fuel in the ship who also has the responsibility to pay for the carbon. So in container shipping, this, of course, means the, the container line. Um, but equally in container shipping, because of this multi-tier 
structure that we have, often those charges are, are pushed downstream. So, I mean, how how do we see that coming out into the market? Um, you know, which organisations are going to be in a compliance market and but who's actually going to pay for this carbon in the end? From my understanding, it's an easy way to collect um, a levy or uh, understand the emissions via the fuel bill itself. And that is then on the carrier side. There are, however, huge differences between the employed assets, more environmentally uh, structured chips, newer tonnage, which is employed, or services which um, still use older, more dirty vessels, if you want to say it that way. Mm-hmm. We as a forwarder think that transparency and an understanding will help everybody to, first of all, avoid CO2 emissions. And we implemented a platform, cexplorer.com, where the different services are compared to each other in a kind of ranking. It is the speed of the service, the reliability of that service, and also the CO2 emissions. There's huge differences, up to 100%, where you say you opt for the one or the other service. And if that fits into your supply chain, you have a choice as a shipper to opt for the more environmentally friendly service. And the CO2 emissions, which are still existing or are still um, not avoidable, need to be phased into these ETS. And how the cost will be pushed down to the end consumer will then be over the freight rate or the fuel surcharge. I think that the, there's a couple of interesting points that, that I want to expand on um, in that. And, and one is the idea of, of transparency and what you just said about um, how these rates could be could be pushed down to the shippers. I mean, in the past, we've seen you know good tradition in container shipping that um, most of the variable charges get pushed down to the shippers. And, and the, the bunker adjustment factors, the BAF clauses, these are a really good example of this. And certainly in the past, that has not been um, arguably the most transparent measure um, for shippers to understand exactly what is affecting that clause. Do we, do we think with this that transparency could be, could be higher in how shippers see the carbon cost coming out in their freight rates? Definitely. If you refer now to the former bunker surcharges or energy costs, what we prefer to say by now, because it's not only the dirty bunker which we are using. We saw a massive improvement in transparency due to the implementation of the low sulfur fuel due to the IMO 2020 regulation, which kicked in just before COVID. That new regulation where you can say it was a a starting point to understand the energy consumption in a better way, led to the implementation of trade factors uh, for a better understanding of the real consumption per container. And now it's just the next step. And as I mentioned before, we have our comparison platform where then the CO2 emissions itself can be understood in a much better way. And the price tag for that emissions can be calculated by the then officially introduced price of carbon where, as you said before, everybody is waiting for. I mean, that that brings me 
back to the the other sort of interesting point that I thought was in the in, in the previous um, discussion, which is the idea of of control for shippers. Um, you know, as we say, the organisation putting the fuel in the ship is probably the one paying the carbon. In this case, they're also the one who chooses what that fuel is, how fast the vessel is. They're the people that actually deploy the vessels into their services. So um, in one one part, you have the organisation operating the vessel who's in control of how much carbon is emitted. And at the other end of the chain, you have um, the shipper who does not control those factors, but is likely the one paying the cost. And I, I thought it was interesting what you said before about already there's enough transparency for shippers to start taking a degree of control of how they manage their supply chains in order to, you know, to pick the most sustainable solutions. You are talking a lot about cost now and who will, um, will pay for it. I would not always say it is a cost. It is an investment in the future. The society demands a cleaner environment and a reduction of CO2. It is for our children, children's children, that we do that. And it's also a legal obligation because the Paris and Kyoto protocols are law. And um, the society, the global society, decided to go down that route. And if we would like to decarbonize a heavy asset industry like the shipping industry, it is connected to costs. And every pair of sneakers, which is uh, now contributing to this transformation is investing in the future. And what is then on, in our control or in the control of the, of the shipper is um, yeah, supporting the different technologies and ideas which are around there. Is it ammonia? Is it biofuels? Is it LNG? Or whatever um, new technology will come up. And uh, it's not decided what technology will be the leading one in 30, 50 years. But we think about it now because the construction of a ship is a new technology happening now. We'll have that asset still in place in 25 or 30 years. One of the, the topics around this, this conversation uh, that I'd like to explore a little bit more is how organizations manage that investment. So, so let's, let's start at the, at the sort of easy level. When we think about um, shipping and particularly container shipping, moving into the emissions trading scheme, um, we have the possibility of access to that market, both access to the, to the primary market for buying allowances but also access to the futures market for managing the, the risk of the price changes in those allowances. I mean, how, how do you see that in the market? I mean, clearly container lines will be involved in these markets in one way or another. Would we see freight forwarders such as Kuna Nagel involved? Would we see cargo owners involved, shippers involved? How do you see access to those, those markets? I would say it's unclear if somebody who is not physically owning the asset will be an active trader. 
So BS Kühn and Nagel would be prepared to participate in the secondary market and might be we focus um, then on the more environmentally fr friendly services where savings had been already realized, what would in turn make that transportation cheaper. Okay, so you, you would see it um, as, a, as a sort of blend of, of services potentially to, to offer offer clients lots of options you know potentially we could be involved in the secondary market on your behalf and that could filter down to a product we can offer this transparency where you can already choose to avoid emissions as much as possible by uh, putting your cargo on the the cleanest services is is that how you see it so it would be almost um you know a menu of of different ideas that organizations can use to tailor their supply chain to, to be as uh, sustainable as possible. From a physical perspective, we can offer this choice already now. On our platform, we grouped mm -hmm. all existing uh, services globally into this uh, comparison between reliability, speed, and CO2 emissions. So you can uh, compare it to uh, a ranking like buying a fridge, energy efficiency from A to E, and that is something what is already existing now. What we also can offer is different forms of propulsion, meaning is it then shipped on LNG, is it shipped using biofuel, or are offsettings um, executed on a voluntary basis at the moment? That is existing. Once we have also the trading scheme established, we can yeah, shift that savings then on a yeah, more macro level to certain, certain cargo volumes. That means, like we do it on the biofuel concept, that we use the so-called uh, mass balance concept, that these savings are then allocated to certain cargo volumes. Because one thing is for sure, we can't change any of the 5,000 container ships roughly which are sailing uh, on the oceans globally to a zero carbon technology overnight. So the new technologies have to be developed and supported. So the, the fuel switching um, the fuel switching angle was, was one that I, I did want to talk about because uh, again, this is a service which is, which is available today. So as a, as a user of sea freight, if I choose the, the investment that I want to make in, um, you know, in the future, as, as, you, as you said, um, would really be in developing lower carbon fuels rather than you know trading emissions. Um, that's something that the shippers can do today. They can they can opt to have um, a lower carbon fuel in their portfolio via this mass balance concept that, that you mentioned. Precisely, as Kuhn and Nagel, we developed a, a product named the KN Biofuel concept, where we allocate certain biofuel contingents to cargo, which is requesting that. We use, uh, use cooking oil methyl ester for that, where we consider mm -hmm. what we consider as uh, one of the cleanest biofuels um, available at the moment. We don't think that um, you should burn crops and corn, which uh, could be eaten actually. Uh, uh, food for fuel is a is a phrase which is existing there, and uh, we think it's uh, not the way forward. So we uh, 
choose waste-based uh, feedstock for our biofuel uh, offerings. That is, for the time being, Yukomi, and there might be others developed because new feedstocks are now developed or uh, the technology is developed to use these new uh, feedstocks. And we see a great uh, demand for that. A lot of uh, shippers say that is existing now, allocate that volumes to us. So we support basically uh, the operators to use that technology, to modify their vessels, to invest in that. Also the oil industry is then incentivized to invest in bunkering facilities and refinery facilities if there's a demand for such fuels. And then it's allocated. And uh, consequently, you could see all the savings out of the ETS scheme allocated to certain cargo if that is in place. This mass balance concept that, that you're talking about, I think it's worth, you know, maybe just explaining this, you know, to the, to the listeners a little bit. In, in some of the energy markets, we're very used to the term guarantees of origin. And, you know, this means effectively, you know, putting a stamp on energy that's produced and how it's produced so that, that we have a sort of traceable, traceable chain. Um, I mean, with, with the size of container shipping, um, sometimes that's that's not possible. So what we're talking about this mass balance concept, which means to put it in a in a very very sort of simplistic way, it's in there somewhere. So in the in the system as a whole, we are reducing the emissions. It's not necessarily dedicated to a single particular container that you're shipping, but you know as a result of asking for these uh, low carbon or zero carbon services, you are reducing the emissions as a whole. Correct. By applying the mass balance concepts, emissions avoided on one ship and the cargo which is paying for that reduction is transported on a different vessel. We need to apply that concept because a single container is only consuming a couple of hundred kilograms on a certain uh, journeys. Mm -hmm. Again, container shipping is per unit a very environmentally friendly form of transportation. But the ship as a whole, where 20, 25,000 containers are transported, burns the quantity which is then needed and handled to be distributed to the individual cargo. And for the, for the pair of sneakers, which we uh, mentioned before, or the pair of deck shoes, it's a couple of cents in the end, uh, between 10 to maybe 19, not even 20 cents, which will pay for that fuel. To, to kind of anchor this, this conversation, and you know, I'm not ashamed of using that pun uh, um, as often as I possibly can in, in these chats, but, but, but to bring this down, I mean, there's such a lot of discussion in the shipping industry about this and of course in in related industries and you know the, the question really comes up you know some people clearly perceive this to be um a bit of a threat others an, an opportunity some people are uh, are undecided so for an organization like Cunanagel, i mean how how does the organization perceive perceive this change it is clearly not a threat we see it as an opportunity because as a, a ranger of advanced supply chains, we have all the possibilities to bring this transparency to our shipper uh, that will trigger a decision 
to use the one or the other service. The more environmentally uh, friendly service will instantly avoid CO2 emissions. And per se, that is also cheaper because it is not using so much energy, which is expensive. On top of that now, we have the CO2 pricing. We can net basically uh, higher energy costs with the price of CO2. And that will encourage and does already encourage our clients to bring that comparison into their final decision. We are walking away from uh, buying of uh, transportation services just via the price. It is now all these other elements which um, decide or um, uh, differ between a good and a yeah, just standard uh, logistics service. Kai, it's, uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for, for your time today and also for, for being involved in the podcast. Um, I know that I've learned a lot and enjoyed it and I, I hope that all of, our, all of our listeners have too. So, uh, so thank you. Many thanks, Richard, um, for that conversation and also for that uh, chance uh, yeah, to speaking uh, to an organization like the EEX. Energy is a, is a hot topic and uh, energy emissions does come in tandem. The price is crucial in logistics anytime. And uh, we are thrilled uh, that this high amount of professionalism is now coming to the industry so that we uh, deal with these energy costs and emissions costs in a much more professional way and that we can really thrill it down um, to small units because um, it's in, as in every uh, task you do, the first 80% are normally easy as it is with the CO2 saving in container shipping and the last 20% uh, then you have to, to stretch you a little bit and um, then we have to calculate with the digits behind the comma and budgeting security is key for our clients, for any shipper. And there's a lot of unwelcome shocks uh, coming for many occasions in logistics, blockage of, uh, of the Suez Canal is one, blockage and closures, uh, closures of ports is another one. At least I think with the energy part, we can, if we manage it um, properly, also using financial instruments, uh, we can bring some stability um, into, into that market where ultimately all participants uh, will benefit from it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 